There are a lot of questions surrounding the person known as the Antichrist who will come into power sometime in the future. But Paul mentions that there is a restrainer that seems to be preventing him from coming into power at some point. What does Paul exactly mean in this passage? Well, that's exactly what we're going to be discovering on today's podcast. So turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and let's get into it. Hey there, my friends. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez with you as always. Blessed to be with you guys as we continue our study here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Where we left off in last podcast was we were looking at the coming rebellion in podcast 209. And so today we're going to be continuing that study as we're exploring the person of the Antichrist. So if you missed any previous podcast, make sure you guys check those out and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. You can also go to standstrongministries.org. You can click on resources and you can scroll down there and you will find different resources and you can click on podcasts. And we have two, this one, Stand Strong in the Word, as you guys know. And the other one is Challenging Conversations in Partnership with the Edify Podcast Network, uh, powered by Christian Post. So check those things out. But I want to say this before we dive in. There is a lot of controversy, obviously, surrounding the Antichrist, and there are different perspectives and views. And I hold a pre-trib, pre-mill position. What that means is that I do believe at any given time, I believe in the imminent doctrine of the rapture, that Jesus Christ will, at any given time, as we are faithfully living out and advancing the gospel, advancing his kingdom, that Christ will come for his church and he will save us. He will take us and we will receive our resurrected bodies and he and those who have died before us will rise first and we will meet them in the air. And thus we shall always be with them according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 and 18. And we also see the absence of the church through Revelation 4 through chapter 19. Not to say that there are not Christians during the tribulation period, But I believe that's a specific time devoted to bringing the Jewish people back, okay, to repentance and and putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the chosen one, and that the Holy Spirit is still moving. And that's what leads us into the discussion now that when the Antichrist is on scene or comes on scene and this man of lawlessness we we saw in verse 3 of chapter 2 is revealed, he's known as the son of destruction. And one thing I do want to I want to point out before we dive into the next passage of scripture, uh, you know, and that's in verses five through twelve, which the the question really here is the the who is restraining the antichrist. I do want to touch on this so we don't lose sight of this. That when it came back when when it comes to this this destruction that's being led by the antichrist or this rebellion, the day of the Lord remember hasn't happened yet because the rebellion hasn't taken place. Why? Because the lawless one, who is known as the man of lawlessness, or the son of destruction, or we call the Antichrist, hasn't come on scene to deceive the world. Now, the Greek word for rebellion, remember, is, is the, the term apostasy. And so in the, in the de, uh, definite article, it implies an apocalyptic event that speaks to both a political and religious uprising. And I believe clearly that is articulated by Jesus in Mark 13, 5 through 7, when he talks about not being led astray. When people are saying, oh, there's the Messiah and wars and rumors of wars and, and don't be alarmed. Uh, 
you know, and you're going to have false Christ and false prophets he talks about in verses 21 through 23 in Mark 13 and performing signs and wonders. So we're seeing that line of the spirit of the Antichrist as the apostle John talked about that will ultimately lead or the culmination of the Antichrist. And we, we are told that he will oppose and exalt himself against every so-called God, an object to worship, that he'll take a seat in the temple. This is something that we believe Daniel 11, 36 through 39 makes reference of, that this is known as the abomination of desolation, Matthew 24, 15. We saw that he's referred to as a beast in Revelation 13, that he will sign a peace treaty with Israel for seven years, Daniel 9, 27, which will finish the 490 years of prophecy of Israel. Right now we're at 483 when Jesus was cut off, meaning he was crucified in roughly about 8030 or 8033. And so the 70th week of Daniel, he's yet to be fulfilled, but will be in that seven year tribulation period. And again, he will declare himself to be God. But now when we jump into verses five through 12, let me read this as we continue, because what he's going to do is go back a little bit. And so I just want to give you guys a little bit of context if you had missed or forgot the content the content, and the context uh, of the last podcast. So here now in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 5 through 12, this is what Paul says. He says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? That's why I wanted to go back because what things? The things that he just previously said in verses 1 through 4. And he says, you know what is restraining, restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And then verse 10 says, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. So what I'm going to do, that was verses 5 through 12, and I might just finish off at verse 8 today and pick things up in our next podcast. So let's dive right in because again, the question before us is who is restraining the Antichrist? What is Paul mentioning here? Now, one thing we have to understand here in verses 5 through 8, that there are two different spirits, okay? And I'll unpack that in a minute. But notice first when Paul says, I told you, I told you these things. And he's, he poses it in a question. In the Greek, it carries... Uh, with it a repeated action so what we know right off the bat and this is something we explored previously in first thessalonians is that paul was very accustomed to telling the thessalonians about the day of the lord repeatedly so this was a very frequent conversation and as a speaker and a writer there's no doubt that in all my years of ministry there are some key conversations that i have with people that um you know, you seem like you're just on repeat all the time, right? Um, it's on a loop. And and I think that's important because, you know, we do forget. But I think also it's not just about forgetting. It's also stressing what is important. And so, again, he was so accustomed to sharing and telling people about the day of the Lord. 
and all of his frequent visits uh, around Thessalonica in the Macedonian area, he was telling them about the day of the Lord. And when I say the day of the Lord, again, if you've been with me in the study for quite some time, as we looked at eschatology, the study of end times, the things that will take place in the last days, whether it's looking at the Olivet Discourse, whether it's looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, and then here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, those are Paul's, you know, probably most uh, detailed, you know, uh, accounts of, of end time prophecy uh, in any of his epistles. You will know, though, as we talked about the day of the Lord, that it's from the rapture to the second coming, okay? The day of the Lord. So there are times where he stresses the day of the Lord specifically on judgment. But in context, when he's sharing and teaching about the day of the Lord, as, as Paul says, you know, I've been telling you these things. Again, he's been talking about a lot of different events, if you will, in sequential order. And not all the time, not always like in one, two, three, four, five, and that type of a pattern in sequential order. But if you take the totality of what we see, you could put together a timetable. Now, we don't know the day or hour in which Jesus will return. And we don't know when the Antichrist will come on scene. And we don't know exactly when he will sign the treaty that will start the seven-year tribulation. But from that point of the signing of the treaty, we know seven years from when Christ will come. That means the second coming, okay? And that's important. So that's what he's been sharing with the Thessalonians. And then when he says in verse six here, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. So here's what's interesting. A lot of us ask the question, who is Paul talking about? Who's restraining uh, the Antichrist? So like, like right now is God or some angel preventing the Antichrist from showing up right now? Like, is he 42 years old and ready to take the world by storm and something's preventing that from happening? Like what exactly is he talking about? Well, here's what's interesting. The way that Paul writes this in the Greek, the word and, you know what is restraining him. He's reinforcing their knowledge. It's in the neuter. He says, you know what thing is restraining him, Okay. Um, so he, so he could be revealed in his time. So the Thessalonians, Paul was assured that what he taught them, they knew exactly what he was talking about. So if that's the case, uh, Paul is assuming that, okay, based on the history he has with them and the way he expresses and the word here in Greek is chi, reinforcing the knowledge that they have, they have on this issue because he's trained them. He's again, going back to verse five, he's repeated it to them. I've told you these things over and over again. So in the Greek, this word restraining now, uh, we have to understand it's the Greek word katiko, okay? And it means what is holding him back, okay? So there is, there is actually in the neuter, again, the thing, the restrainer, okay? That is restraining. So it's, it's in both neuter and masculine. So it's very clear that Paul is referring to a person, okay? That's important. So it can read like this. And you know the restrainer that is causing this holding back or this restrainer so that he, the Antichrist, the son of destruction, he just talked about in verses one through four, the man of lawlessness, may be revealed in his time. Okay? So some New Testament scholars believe that it's the Holy Spirit is the restrainer. 
that the Holy Spirit is the one restraining the spirit of the Antichrist from getting worse until the appointed time. Again, until the time he comes on scene and he's already in power, not again over the world, but that he will take possession of certain uh, nations and he will use that to lure in the Jews to sign a peace treaty to the world, okay? Again, no one has done that. No one has brought peace to the Middle East. He will, but of course, it's a false peace treaty. So some people believe that he's restraining the spirit of the Antichrist from getting worse until the appointed time. So let's pause there. So it's not actually the Holy Spirit right now restraining the whole the Antichrist from coming on scene right now, okay? Meaning he's fit and ready, but just the Holy Spirit's just not making it happen yet. A lot of believe, a lot of scholars believe that the Holy Spirit is the restrainer and is holding back the spirit of the Antichrist, meaning kind of dialing it down a bit. Things could be a, a lot worse, but the Holy Spirit is preventing that from happening. Now, other scholars interpret the restrainer to actually be the church. Now, here's the thing. You say, well, Jay, where do you stand on this whole thing? I, I don't know. I, I think it's a both and. I think it's the Holy Spirit through the church. But either way, the Holy Spirit indwells a believer. And collectively, we make up the church. And I think that's important to understand is that the Holy Spirit, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We make up the church. Christ is the head. And as long as the church is actively engaging the world in the power of the Spirit, preaching the gospel, and people are getting saved, that is preventing or restraining the Spirit Okay, the demonic presence from getting worse. Okay, but the time will come when Christ will again appear in the skies suddenly, and He will capture us. He will, we will be caught up. We'll be taken. Okay, and then all chaos will will let loose. Now it continues. Paul continues to write for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Again, so again. This goes back to what we were just implying in verse six that is just talking about the 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 spirit of the Antichrist. Well, he says the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So we're already seeing signs of portions of what Paul's talked about, what Jesus has talked about. He says, only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Now, this now unpacks it a little bit more. Okay, so we can start building more of a case as we're looking at the context because now the word mystery has to do with new truth that is revealed to the church by Paul. So as Paul says, hey, I've, I share this with you guys. You guys know this. You know who is restraining him. Um, for the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. This is stuff that we've talked about. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. So we're like, okay, well, who's he then specifically and, and, and until he's out of the way? Now, I like to look at Mark Hitchcock, he's a pastor in Oklahoma. He wrote a book called The Complete Book of Bible Prophecy. Listen to what he says. He says, quote, think about it for a moment. If this evil world we live in now is a time of restraint, what in the world will it be like when that restraint is removed? What would this world be like when all restraint against the Antichrist and his wickedness is taken out of the way? It will be like removing a dam from a lake, evil will overflow this world, demolishing everything in its path, end quote. So when you think about it, you guys, when you look at scripture, and Mark is right, you know, there are cosmic powers that are hidden right now and unobservable 
to the naked eye. Um, but the, their effects that, you know, are being seen to some degree, but a lot of us don't see it. Or the angels are holding it back or the power of the Holy Spirit through the church is preventing it from happening, from getting worse. But the rage against the kingdom of God is happening and it will progressively get worse. But I believe that the Holy Spirit is too powerful right now for Satan to do anything. Too powerful for him to destroy everything within creation as he wickedly desires. Now, the Antichrist, who is the lawless one, even though he's, I don't believe he's currently active in this world, you know, again, conquering the world that is. But again, I do stress this, and this is highly important because this is something that Paul stressed in his epistles. The spirit of the Antichrist, Paul the, uh, or the Apostle John did as well. The spirit of the Antichrist is alive and active. Now, whether it's, you know, um, dismantling the works of God, disseminating lies, advancing false teaching, or fueling conflict among nations that will actively lead them to war, those are all the spirit of the Antichrist. They will ultimately lead many people to fall under his delusion, to be deceived, maybe even, even the elect. Now, John 2, 18 through 19 is an important passage to, to understand this context because notice it says there, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist, this is First John, excuse me, not just John, First John 2. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. And then later in chapter 4, verse 3, John writes, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Once again, we see from what Paul's saying to what John said later, that the, that the person of the, of the Holy Spirit, it seems like, Again, if that's manifested in the church with us, I, I think yes, yes to all of that, that we, the power of the Holy Spirit, we are holding back the evil and the darkness in the world. So just remember that if you are being grounded in God's word, if you're standing strong in the word of God, if you're standing strong in your faith, and yes, you could do more, you could pray harder and evangelize more often. Um, but the point is, my friends, is, is God is using you. You're a light. You're a witness to, to, to the darkness out there. You're sh shining your truth to people. And in so doing, as, as, as all of us are doing that, as the body of believers, as the church, we are pushing back the darkness. The darkness could be a lot darker and a lot more people can be lost. So I just want us to just take comfort in knowing that. And then it says here in verse 8, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Now I believe, again, after the rapture of the church, the world will grow darker and will face some of the greatest judgments that we've that, that, that the world has ever seen. Okay, so this, this will be historical in nature. Um, and, and it will set a precedent that had never befallen the world before. You think that, you think of certain judgments that we have in the Old Testament. One particular we see in Genesis 6, the, the flood, that's nothing. It pales in comparison to what we will see during the tribulation period. Jesus, it says, will kill with the breath of his mouth. Um, 
what is that? Well, the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible says this, Paul interrupts the description of the lawless one to describe this evil figure's ultimate demise by Jesus, thereby comforting his readers. This imagery from Isaiah 11 verse 4 emphasizes not the ease with which the returning Christ will destroy, that means the Greek conveys the stronger act of destruction rather than a mere overthrow of the man of lawlessness, but the power of his breath as a potent and fearful weapon of war, end quote. So when Jesus comes, he will kill with the breath of his mouth. That's the second coming and bring nothing uh, and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So all will surrender before him. The Antichrist may go around and, and conquer many nations and, and, and threaten people and take lives and control the interests of the world's economy. Like we're told when you look at Revelation 13 and Revelation 17. But he will be no match when Jesus Christ returns to earth in the second coming. Now, the word does not uh, convey a physical battle per se. And here's why. Because Jesus will literally speak a word. And the Antichrist and his entire army will be obliterated. So this isn't like the Lord of the Rings kind of, you know, sagas where... Uh, you have Jesus coming down with a sword and he's fighting, you know, and he's killing a lot of people and they're trying to wait, you know, take him down. No, he's like, he spoke the world, the universe into the existence. He spoke things into existence. He will speak and the breath of his mouth will destroy the Antichrist and his army. Okay. Now this phrase, the appearance of his coming, this is the Greek word that is epiphania, which we get the epiphany. It means splendor, and it captures the magnificent uh, and commanding presence when Christ returns. So at his very appearance, because what Jesus is now going to do, you guys, is he's ushering in his glory. He is taking over, okay? He's not just capturing uh, the Antichrist. And, and putting an end to Satan's rule at that time and throwing him in the pit for a thousand years. But he's also capturing his creation again and starting the restoration process. Now, it's interesting because John gives detail uh, to this destruction that I believe Paul's referencing here. And again, remember, John didn't have this revelation until after Paul had passed away. But notice in Revelation 19, verses 20 through 21, where John writes these words, And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gourds with their flesh, Revelation 19, verses 20 through 21. So when you when you, you describe the presence of Jesus coming, it's over. That's it. He will put it in. Jesus will, will judge the world and its sin. And again, I, I have to say, because a lot of discussions I have with people in different positions of eschatology, and I love all of them, we're followers of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, again, we believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ, that he will rule and reign, and we will rule and reign with him in our resurrected bodies. But one thing I want to stress before I end, and I am going to stop there, 
and we'll get into the activity of Satan in our next podcast. But is that does not mean that when we are taken, that the gospel is not spreading during the tribulation, that the Holy Spirit is no longer impacting the world. Because when we do see activities on earth and also in heaven throughout chapters 4 through 19 in Revelation, and we particularly look at the two witnesses, some people believe it be Moses and Elijah in Revelation 11, but before that, in Revelation 7, you see 144,000 witnesses sealed and singing a devoted song that only they sing. And they have this emblem, they have this symbol that they are set apart. These are the 12 tribes. There's 12,000 sanctified Jews serving Jesus Christ as Lord and Master. And they will be propagating the gospel in the tribulation period amongst people who are fallen and who who have the mark of the beast and these these uh 144,000 are going to be proclaiming the gospel now my friends how can people be saved without the work of the holy spirit how can god pour his wrath on earth without the the holy spirit that's god's spirit moving so let's not be fooled in thinking when we talk about when, when the restraint or the Holy Spirit or, th- or through the church is taken, that uh, that's it. There's, there's going to be no more souls saved on earth during this, the, the tribulation period. No, not only will God, again, be restoring the nation of Israel to come to faith, again, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, but also the judgment, but also, and this is important, to remember that God is prepping his creation for us to come and to rule and reign with him. So as always, if you guys have any questions regarding this particular passage, and again, I know that um, it's confusing, especially if you haven't really studied a lot of end-time prophecy, but if you do have questions, you can always go to our website at standstrongministries.org, click on that button, contact us, and you can send an email with your questions or even your prayer requests. And before I say goodbye to all of you guys for on, on this episode, I do want to just encourage and challenge each one of you guys who faithfully listen to this, whether it's on SoundCloud, Apple, uh, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music. I'm so thankful for you guys faithfully listening to this podcast. We've been doing it for, for several years now, and I couldn't be... I wouldn't be able to do it. I wouldn't be able to do this podcast if it wasn't for your prayers and for your generous financial support. So if this has been a blessing to you, like like I ask you guys, and it means a lot, take time to leave a review. Let people know about it um, so we could build our audience for more people like you and me studying the word of God together. Isn't that powerful? I just We were just looking at the analytics and we have people in Russia and people in Africa and people in Germany that download and listen to this podcast. Of course, we have tons of people who listen to it in the United States, but wouldn't it be awesome if you, you and I can join forces together as we pray and as we sow seeds of financial support and say, I want to see Stand Strong in the Word reach more people out there. And we also have some plans of taking my notes and making that available. So please, you guys, go to standstrongministries.org and click on the donate button and join us to become a Stand Strong supporter and continue to help spread the gospel all over the world. Love you guys. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends.